grew up in a town where great athletes and you, you could either compete or you could go home. It's always a great opportunity to watch and observe quality people work in their training and their preparation for their teams. That was huge for me. It was massive. This is For the Love of the Game, hosted by college soccer coaches Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. Here they are, Ralph and Ray. Good afternoon, Ralph. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Raymond. I thought I'd take an opportunity. I want to share some stuff about your background and talk about it, but for our, for our listeners, we're both Ralph and myself from Brentwood, Long Island. Uh, went to the same high school. Ralph's older brother was my high school coach and my guidance counselor in middle school and really looked out for me and helped me, uh, straighten me out as a young guy. And uh, Ralph's brother passed away very early in life, November of 95. And uh, Coach Perez used to always talk to me about his brother, U.S. soccer, national team, World Cup, Olympics. And I met Ralph when his brother passed. And I'm very fortunate to say he's become a good friend of mine, a confidant, somebody I look up to. And when you put on the Mount Rushmore coaches in America in soccer, you got the Bruce Arenas, the Siggy Schmitz, the Glenn Meinicks, to me, the Jay Millers, the Ralph Perez's. And I say that uh, in all honesty, I'm honored to have him as my partner to work on this together. So that gives you a little bit of a background on how we know each other. I'm sure when Ralph starts to talk a little bit later on, he'll give you his view on it. So Coach Perez, you've been at a lot of levels. Rather than going sequential from start to finish, I'd rather talk more levels. So you've done a lot at the college level. Can you, you know, give all listeners a little bit of a background on the schools in the order you've been at and uh, where you are today? Well, thanks for the kind words, Ray. Yeah, I'm very proud of where my roots are. I was born and raised in the Bronx in New York. My parents moved out to Long Island. Uh, actually, our mailing address was North Bay Shore, but I am thankful to God that I went to the Brentwood School Districts instead of Bay Shore uh, because it was a great place to grow up, a fantastic time to, uh, to live in Long Island and go to school there. I went to Oneonta State, a state's school in New York, part of the SUNY system, State University of New York. From Oneonta, after having a fantastic uh, experience, both college and athletically, basketball and soccer, I took myself out to California to give it a shot. I started out teaching and uh, just kind of like my brother, you know, except I wasn't a counselor, I was a school teacher. And I was able to, through a friend of mine, Terry Lee Fisher, who was then the UCLA coach, called me and said, hey, there's a job opening at Whittier College. And I got the job there. And it's so ironic that the athletic director was also the basketball coach who was the basketball coach at Hartwick when I played at Oneonta. So uh, really a unique thing. I was offered the job right on the spot after the interview. So I was 22 years of age and I'm a head coach of a college. And at that time there was, a, it wasn't any division three, it was NAI or division one or two. 
uh, enjoyed every minute of it, but it was part-time. You know, it was $1,000 a year as the head coach. And the ambition became after three years of that, hey, I wanted to uh, really do this full-time. So I went and got my master's at Whittier and then went back to the school district in East LA because uh, it was only 1000 a year. I took a sabbatical and I, I enjoyed it, but I had to go back. So I got the job at Cal State Fullerton, Division One school for uh, a tremendous increase in pay, $1,200 a year. And it was E1. And uh, to make a long story short for our listeners, uh, you know, it, it was fantastic experience, four years coaching college that it, it, it became evident to me that I wanted to do this full time. And, and so be it, you can call it a blessing. Uh, Cal State University of Los Angeles dropped their collegiate football and add, we're going to add men's soccer. And I applied and I was fortunate to get the job in 1978 as the first coach of the Cal State University of Los Angeles program. And my plan was, you know, hey, give me three years. I'm going to build this program up and I'm going to make it you know, a competitive program. And we did, we won the conference, uh, but we didn't get a playoff bid at that stage. But when I got the program where I thought it would be, the situation became an opening at University of Santa Clara, another division one program, Cal State Lee was division two. And I, I, I departed from Cal State Lee, knowing that I had a great team. I just fundraised to go back East. I turned the program to my assistant, Burhani Underbrahan, who took that team in 81 to, as you're well aware of, to the final four and then lost in the NCAA final to the University of Tampa. And uh, I, I got to give a little plug there that 40 years later, Cal State later last year won the Division II title, uh, which is something that's elusive and, and tough for anybody to win a, a national title. Uh, so I went to Santa Clara. I was full-time, first full-time position in the West Coast. That was just coaching, no teaching, because I was teaching classes at Cal State LA. And I was at Santa Clara. I enjoyed it. I was there six years. But the problem there for me was I only had one athletic scholarship as a D1 program. I started to realize that I was getting a little frustrated, losing players, not being able to recruit the guys I needed to really compete with uh, the University of San Francisco or you know, UCLA, all the powers in the West. And so uh, the opportunity became to move on. I went to UNLV as an assistant one year, and that brought me close to my parents. My parents lived there. And then really the biggest thing that happened to me was I was in those six, seven years, I was doing national coaching schools for Mr. Walt Chisowitz. And then I was asked to be the uh, ODP coach uh, of Region 4, the West. And that led to an opportunity that, uh, thanks to Lothar Asian that put me on that position, that staff, and Walt Chiswitz, that Bob Ganzel was appointed the under-20 coach. And that was really uh, something special to be asked to be the under-20 national coach. And that led me to the qualifications. We went, we qualified, we went to the World Cup in Saudi Arabia. And to this day, still the best finish for the U-20s. We we got to the semifinals, lost in double overtime to Nigeria, wound up playing Brazil again for the second time because we had them in group play for the third place game and they beat us. So we really didn't get a third place medal. We we finished fourth in that World Cup. 
And then from there, Bob Gans was asked to be the next national coach and try to qualify the U.S. to the World Cup in Italy. And we hadn't been in the World Cup since 1950 when the U.S. was in Brazil. And we were able to do that. And that was something special. And I'll elaborate that on later. But after the World Cup was over, you know, the position was over. I got the job at Old Dominion, and at Old Dominion, uh, that was fantastic in Norfolk, Virginia. And because I'm always been the kind of guy to trying to chase dreams and so forth, that led to the start of the MLS in '96. And again, I'll speak about my professional experience. But after after being in New York and LA as an MLS coach, has led me to where I am presently at the University of Redlands. And uh, this has been my longest stop. I've just finished 15 years here. I can't believe that. You know, it's been a special place uh, because uh, they've given me tremendous latitude to do it the way I need to do it. And we've had great success. That kind of gets everybody up to speed. I mean, you're talking 1974, I began coaching and I'm still coaching right now in 2022. Hmm. Thank you. You brought up a question there, Ray, and, and obviously our, our paths have crossed. I've gotten to know you as well since the passing of my brother. We knew each other, but we didn't know each other, I guess is the best way I put it. I know you mentioned my brother was an influence, but uh, knowing your father the way I know him, and he's from Scotland, just talk to us about that influence and, and how you got yourself as a young guy involved in soccer. Yeah, when I was about eight years old, there was no Long Island Junior Soccer. Really, the towns played for your church. And there was a place in Huntington called Marydale, which were two fields. God is my judge. They looked like the putting greens at the Masters. These things were beautiful. So all the different churches in Suffolk and Nassau County would play there on Saturdays. So my father coached the team with a gentleman named Bob Dumas. And I remember to this day, my father would have to go around the neighborhood, pick up five guys, bring them up to the church where we practiced, go back, get another five, go back, get the third five, and maybe a couple more. We would train, and then he'd bring us all home. He would take me down to the school. We literally lived across the street from my elementary school. So he worked in the city when he got home from work. We'd go down to the school, and we would just kick the ball for an hour, hour and a half. He'd teach me how to kick. You know, he played, obviously, played amateur soccer in Scotland. He liked the game. He got me the bug, and I played for the churches. And then, I don't know, maybe around seventh grade, the Brentwood Soccer Club started. So we played for Brentwood. And then in middle school, my coach was a guy named Bob Tagna. Great guy. Very good coach. Your brother was our guidance counselor. And he taught me about competing. And I, I remember this like it's yesterday. Once basketball ended, like in March, middle school basketball, he would run an indoor league for all the kids in our junior high and North junior high that played. And he'd take the volleyball stanchions and he'd buy, bring in two, two like long two-by-fours. He'd make them the crossbar. He'd tie it up with rope. He'd string a net to the volleyball on both ends. So we'd play, I don't know, 2.30 to 4. And then he'd let guys leave and he'd keep the best 10 players. And then he'd jump in. And we'd go into the old wood bleachers, his elbows flying and kicking us. He did not care. Then we'd finish after that, 4.30, you know, the extra half hour playing with him. Then we'd play basketball. And this guy, he taught me how to survive. 
He taught me how to compete. He taught me not to back down. Yeah, so he was treating us like we were his age. And, you know, he just kicked you. He ran you into the boards, ran you into the wall. If you looked at him, you know, he kind of tell you you could step off anytime you wanted. Uh, and then he, just to continue with him a little bit, because he asked me how he got in the game. Then in high school, he had a men's summer league, and he would bring up the better players like in 11th grade to play in the men's summer league with him. So he brought me and my buddy. We played with him, Joey De Silva, Nikki Romanski, Richie Garcia, Jack Frazier, to name a few guys. Great Tommy O'Shea, some great players. And then in the summer, we load into his van in 10th and 11th grade on Sunday, and we get to the Meadowlands, get there early, and we play pickup in the parking lot, 4v4, 5v5, 6v6. Go in, see the Cosmos with Pelé, Beckenbauer, Niskins, Bogey, the Cabanas, Julius Cesar Romero. We watch the game, game with them. We go back out and play pickup till the park I ended, and then he drive us home. So, you know, my to my father, to be fair, Coach Tagner and certainly Coach Perez, they got me the bug. A lot of what I've accomplished throughout my career as a player and a coach is in large part to Ray Perez. So it's not like today we had premier teams and academies. You know, you had to really look to search out games. And he created between the church, then the Long Island Junior started, and then your brother, he created environments for us to compete. You know, grew up in Brentwood, New York, same town as you. Hopefully we have a guest in a few weeks from Brentwood. Uh, right now the Manchester United assistant, Chris Armas, who grew up kind of equidistant from Ralph and I much younger than both of us, but I grew up in a town where great athletes and you, you could either compete or you could go home. And uh, I was very lucky, Ralph, to have your brother in my life for 35 years. There's no doubt that, um, you know, I think our pathways with our, our fathers and ironically, my brother playing a big role in both of our soccer careers, surely our, our, our big fan, big supporter to both of us. You know, I, I can't, say enough about what my brother and my dad mean to me. I mean, those are my two best friends uh, to lose both of them so close apart in 93, 95. You know, we started that Brentwood soccer program uh, my senior year, 68, 69. Uh, we wanted to play more soccer. We joined the league with no coach and went always to the Long Island final. And I think that Brentwood, believe it or not, played a big role in, in, in our lives to give us a, a, a passion for playing sports and reflection. It was a great place to grow up, playing basketball, playing soccer, baseball, little league baseball, you name it. We played sports all the time out there. I have always followed uh, the high school sports there. Uh, really happy about the state of the Brentwood since my brother passed that coach Ron Eden has carried that banner and has carried it well. And, Kept Brentwood very, very uh, competitive to be one of the best teams in the last 40 years on Long Island as far as their competitiveness and their success. You know, we're, we, we've been lucky, but I think you, you, you've also were very fortunate that you went to Southern Connecticut State, and I think you – I competed against him as an Olympic ODP coach because he had Region 1 to East, and I got nothing but respect for Coach Bob DeCranian who I look at as one of the icons of soccer coaches in America. And uh, tell us a little bit about that pathway. 
Yeah, I was fortunate. John Dealey is a very good friend of mine. John went to Southern. A lot of Long Island players at that point in time went to Southern Connecticut. I went to Suffolk Community College for a year. I played for Bobby Schimp, who was a great coach. We wound up losing in the national semifinals to Pete Sorbis, Fluorescent Valley team, won nothing in overtime down in Maryland. After Suffolk, I went to Southern. I played three years for Coach DeCranian. Great program back in the day. I played 80, 81, and 82. Preseason was four sessions a day, six o'clock fitness session, nine o'clock technical session, a 1.30 tactical session, no lights, dinner at five, like a 6.15, 10 v. 10, 20, 30-minute game. Each night you played a little bit more. Four times a day, a perfectionist. He would drive you and drive you and drive you and drive you some more. Very blessed to have. So then I, when I was done playing, I was his assistant. For six years, and then I took over the program from him. But you know, you look at people off his tree, Brian Bliss with Sporting KC right now. John Dilly played for him. John was with me 25 years myself. I was at Southern and UConn. You know, you got George Kiefer who played for me at NC State. Coach the Craney went down and assisted George for a couple of years in South Florida when George left to become the head coach of South Florida when he left UConn. Bobby Muse played for me, but coach was helping us then. Bobby is now the head of Wake Forest. Mike Pecky played for me. Coach DeCraney was my assistant. Mike obviously played for the Metro Stars, I think D.C. United. And then he coached the Metro Stars, and he coached Real Salt Lake. Krista Silva was a U.S. soccer scout, now with Capelli Sports. Kevin Anderson at Columbia. Bo Shoney at Dartmouth. And that's just to name a few. Uh, there are many more guys in the game that have Southern Connecticut ties, played professional, coached professional. Coach DeCranian, uh, to me, really, really influenced a lot of people and really taught me about not accepting anything remotely with mediocrity. I'll tell you a funny story quickly. We're outside practicing. There's no lights. Session goes south. The year we won the first championship, 87, it goes south, and he's steamed. So he brings us all in, and I'm coach, I'm his assistant. And the field house closes at 9.30 at night. He says, okay, I better be back 9.30, ready to train. And guys looked at him like you were crazy. He says, field house closed at 9.30. We're going to redo the session. We came back two hours. We did the whole session again in a big gym until he was pleased with it. And then the other story, before I pass it back to you, Jerry Montgomery. Jerry Montgomery was a striker, a year younger than me at Southern from Long Island, North Babylon. One game, he doesn't run near post. He's a reserve striker, but he can score goals. Doesn't run near post three, four times. We lose 2 nothing. Next day, you know, there was no recovery then and or, you know rehab. We train the next day. At the end, he says, who has cause? And like eight guys raise their hands. He goes, bring the cause up. We put the cause around the goal with lights on. It's guys wide. He makes this guy run near post, right, near post, left, near post, right, near post. I bet you made him do it 75 times, 100 times. Three nights later, we play Springfield, 0-0, 70th minute. Jerry comes off the bench, scores two goals, running near post. We win 2 nothing. It's just a taskmaster. You know, you talk about Coach Gansler and, you know, the and the and uh, how high high esteem the whole Coach Gansler in. To me, Coach DeCranian is a Coach Gansler. He decided to stay at Southern. He had chances to move on, did not want to move on. He built something special. But I'm very blessed to have played for him. I'm very blessed to have worked for him. And he influenced me in many ways, both on and off the field. Ralph, let's talk about your your professional stops. I think one of the things that uh, 
there's a lot there to talk about. But I think all of us, um, I just want to share with the listeners just one simple thing here that uh, in my master's thesis, my thesis was about the uniqueness of the national coaching schools, that soccer is one of the few sports at that time in our country that had a coaching license pathway. You know, you went for your national C, your B and A, and, you know, Mr. Dittmar Kramer from Germany came over and established that school to us. And Walt Chisholm was, was his right-hand man. I took my C license at Gordon College with those two guys and Bob McNulty and the great uh, Bill Killen and as well as, you know, Bill Muse. Those guys, I opened my eyes to the game. I thought I know a little bit about soccer, but I knew nothing. I knew nothing about coaching and that coaching course in uh, 1974 opened my eyes to the game, uh, how much there is to coaching. And it gave me a, a great start as far as a methodology. And then I was fortunate in 75 to take my B license with a Lothar Asiander and a Timo Leokowski. And then in 77, I did my A license with Mr. Walt Chizuitz, who I think is the godfather of coaching in this country. All great guys. And uh, were fantastic people in the game. They gave the game so much. And when I started coaching professionally, you know, I was excited to go to the MLS in 96, the excitement of a league starting, a, a pro league after, as you mentioned earlier, the Cosmos and that league, that Eddie Fromani, who was a coach, was the head coach of the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. And he asked me to be the assistant, as well as Lothar asked me to go with L.A. To coach in New York at Giant Stadium and being a native New Yorker, it was fantastic. You know, the league started, and ironically, the opening game we played was against the Galaxy in front of 70,000, 69,000 people in the Rose Bowl, and we're playing Lothar. And a, a true a true story, you know, we got out there, we're all excited, and we go out to the stadium the day before, walk the field in the Rose Bowl, and the Rose Bowl obviously is known at that time to all of us as a football American football stadium that was part of, you know, college football, famous for the Rose Bowl game. But we were told, hey, it's going to be about 30,000. And then uh, the next day, Danny Villanueva, the GM, said, it's going to be more like 50,000. And it, it wound up being that they took the, the, the downsizing banners away because they almost had 70,000 at the game. What a great start to, to coach uh, professionally in that environment coaching at Giant Stadium. But let me just say this. It wasn't easy. It was tough to start and build a league, but it was exciting throughout America, the, the franchises. And I was blessed. I mean, I truly can say I've been blessed with all those guys I had in the coaching schools and, and doing the coaching schools to learn the game, to teach, and the professional side. To then the next coach that came in was Carlos Quiroz, who I knew because he was in that World Cup in 89 in uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, he won it all uh, with Portugal. And he won it again the following under-20 World Cup in 91, which thrust him onto a, an unbelievable coaching career. And to work with him every day for a year was like working with a professor that knew the game and could coach the game. So uh, having the opportunity to work with Lothar a little bit with the Olympic team, to work hand-in-hand with Ganza with the under-20s, and the national team, and then work with Carlos was fantastic. And then Carlos left to go to the the uh, J League, and who comes in the next coach? <laughs> Another Carlos, a guy who won the World Cup in '94, Carlos Alberto Pereira from Brazil, 
and to be his assistant again was just you know incredible you know i just kept thinking you know every day as i took notes and what i was learning from these guys from coaching uh i i can say all seriously that um the pro game uh is so much more so much more to do so hard to uh really learn what you need to know it's more by experience you know and day to day you learn more and more about yourself about coaching about players uh, i had some players on that metro star team that played for you and chris de silva and de brito I had some players that played uh, for bob riasso and peter vermes and then tab ramos who played for us as well on the, the 90 team and tony miola giovanni savaresi and miles joseph who are now coaching with portland you know there was just a great opportunity a great time the league was growing I moved to Los Angeles to take the job there in 98 with Octavio Zambrano. And then from there, Octavio was replaced by Ziggy Schmidt, who I think is another icon in the game. Came from the collegiate level at UCLA, you know, worked with him. So my, in my 10 years in MLS, I was really blessed to, to really come across some great soccer minds that uh, you could say we owe a lot to for what they gave the game. And I would also like to just tell our guys and ladies out there that are listening that are coaches. I started out as a head coach, never being an assistant. So when I started assisting Coach Gansler or Lothar or all these coaches I just mentioned, it was a, to see how someone else would do it. And obviously, you can learn a lot from quality people, take the things that you see and learn, just like clinics if you attend or licensing program. But I think the best thing that I could say about this whole experience of uh, the game itself and the love that I have for the game all was part of just being out there every day, working on your craft, seeing other people work, going to clinics. Uh, even when you instructed the coaching schools, you learn from other people. But for sure, as a pro coach, your season is 10 months and your job is almost the whole year. And where college is such a compact season, starts in August. And if you're fortunate, you're playing in November. The challenge that I've always been asked, you know, what's it like at the pro? It's kind of like, you know, dog years. A dog is seven years, you know, they say in one year. <laughs> Coaching in the pros is a long time and, and it's a grind and the travel and the preseason and traveling internationally with your teams at times. But I wouldn't trade it for all the tea in China. It was fantastic. I look around and I say to myself, a guy from Brentwood, Long Island, when I started playing this game at 12 years old, where the game has taken me from Brentwood to Oneonta, which I thought was the pinnacle for me at that time, playing soccer at Oneonta in front of 8,000 people and beating the Hartwood College in the NCAA playoff game and going to the NCAA final and losing. I thought that was the goody gras. But then coaching in a World Cup in Italy against Italy, coaching in uh, the Olympics in Barcelona with Lothar, uh, it's fantastic that what the game has given me and then coaching at the pro level. But I think Bob Gansler said it best to me when I took the job at Redlands. He says, you're not going to change because you're coaching Division Three. You're going to do the same job you did whether you were coaching with me or you were coaching in MLS or you were coaching 
at a, a, a Division One school like the University of Santa Clara or Old Dominion. It's just part of your personality that's always going to come out. And I would always encourage young coaches that coach within yourself, coach within your personality, be who you are. you got to take that role as coach as something really important. Because as a coach, as the book, John Wooden, they call me coach, uh, it's a big job. It's a big role. And more importantly, you don't realize how much you can influence young men and women as a coach of the game of soccer. Well, Ray, I know you mentioned Bob DeCranian and you were his assistant and then you followed in his footsteps to take over a great program in Southern Connecticut State. And, you know, you won some titles there, NC2A titles. And I know that I I thought that you would be a, a great guy when I left Old Dominion to take the job. You know, I think your dream job came and you just stepped down from that. But share with our listeners about making the move from Southern Connecticut State to UConn. I was fortunate. I was at Southern Connecticut for eight seasons, 90, uh, 89 through the 96 season. You know, a lot of internal pressure because replacing a legend in Coach DeCranian and my alma mater. I was very fortunate. John Dealey, my, probably my best friend, was my right-hand assistant. We had George Kiefer, Brian Quinn, Jimmy O'Brien. We had a good run. And then I saw in preseason of 96, like a headline in the New Haven Register, that Coach Maroney was retiring. So I, I waited a couple of weeks. I put him for the job. We went through the season. We're undefeated. Lou Perkins was the athletic director, and Jeff Hathaway brought me in. They had come back from with the women's basketball from Stanford on a red eye on Sunday night. Worked the day, and then came down and met me at a hotel in Cromwell, Connecticut, Monday night after training, 6 o'clock. And literally 11.30 at night, Lou was falling asleep. Jeff and I, were, Jeff and I had hit it off. Jeff was his two-man. So then about two weeks later, they started bringing people to campus. And Clive Charles interviewed, God rest his soul. Siggy Schmidt, God rest his soul. Tony DiCicco, God rest his soul, along with others. And at the end, I was fortunate enough to become the head coach. I was there 24 years, blessed with some great players. The coach right now, Grispondi, for me, pound for pound, one of the greatest college soccer players ever. Raheem Hancock, Brent Raheem, Darren Lewis, O'Brien White, Damani Ralph, Shavar Thomas, Carlos Alvarez, Josie Mo Sanchez, Andre Blake, Kyle Lahren. And those are those are just the marquee names. We were very fortunate. I had some great young men work with me. George Kiefer came with me. He's presently the coach at NC State. Bobby Muse came with me. He's presently the coach at Wake Forest. John Dilley was with me all but two years. Now he's with Inter Miami down in Florida, David Beckham's group. Chris Bondi worked with me. Obviously, he's at UConn. Tim O'Donnell worked with me. He's with the Naval Academy now. Dane Brown, assistant at Wake. Chris Birch, assistant at St. Louis. Mike Modaco, head coach, uh, Long Island University Post. So I was blessed. I had a great staff most of the time there. We had a lot of talent. We built a new stadium, built a building. Stadium holds about 5,000. Beautiful building for football, for the American, for soccer. Very, very fortunate. The soccer environment, you know, I worked at two places for 40 years. Southern Connecticut and UConn, both very serious about soccer. 
both committed to making it happen. I had the opportunity to work both places and follow two legends in Bob the Cranian and Joe Maroney. Um, both had built, you know, had built fantastic foundations for me. And I was able to jump on. And I, hopefully I kept it, kept it where they had it. And we wound up putting about 40 guys in MLS. We're the only program ever to have back-to-back number ones in Laren and Blake. And really, we could have three because the year before, year before Blake, Carlos Alvarez went number two to Chivas. We had four number ones. Chris Bondi went one in 2000 to 2001. Also, I was able to watch some of the best in the business work every day. Jim Calhoun, Gino Oriema, Nancy Stevens in field hockey, Lenny Santaris in women's soccer, Jimmy Penders in baseball, you know, and then more lately, Kevin Ollie and then Danny Hurley, both in men's basketball. And I got to, you know, we had open access to their practices, which, you know, was like getting a PhD in coaching, watching these guys work with their teams. I've been blessed. I haven't worked a day in my life since I finished college. And, you know, and I owe a lot to my father and your brother, Bob the Cranian, you know, and then I owe a lot to Lou Perkins, Jeff Hathaway for giving me an opportunity to come to UConn and provide me with the resources, you know, to try to build something. And, uh, you know, I still bleed Southern and UConn blue. I couldn't be happier for Chris Bondi. You know, he will lead us to our fourth national championship there. The alumni are behind him, and it was a great choice by David Benedict. And just to piggyback on what you said before, coming out of Brentwood, uh, there's nowhere else I'd rather come. It, it taught you everything. It taught you how to compete, taught you how to live your life, how to fight for things. You know, in a day and age when so many people were entitled, there was nobody entitled in Brentwood. You know, it was about fighting for what was yours and earning what was yours and not having the expectation that it would be given to you. If I had to do all over again, I'd do the same exact path. Well, I, I think for our fans, you know, we sound like uh, we're set the end. You know, we're done. We're surely not done with what we want to do in soccer. You know, it's been kind of unique, our pathways. you Your pathway, as you say, you just went, stayed right there. You went from Long Island to Connecticut and walked the bus there. I kind of bopped around a little bit. Uh, Northern Cal, Southern Cal. Stop in Vegas and Norfolk, Virginia, and with Old Dominion, and then the MLS path, and obviously the United States. And you know, I I look around, and I always want to give thanks to those guys, but um, you know that helped me along the way. And uh, clearly, for me and you, uh, as you mentioned, Joe Maroney and, and Coach Ukrainian, you know, we've had a lot of good national coaches. And of course, the U.S. team, Lothar, Alciander, Bob Gansler, and then the, the first guy that came in after Bob, I, I won the first Gold Cup with him in 1991, Bora Moltonovic. And then obviously after him was, you know, Steve Sampson. And then it, it moved to some people that you and I are going to have on the show down the road. And Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley, two great guys, great coaches, come from the collegiate level. Princeton and Virginia. I think the American coach in soccer, we've developed some great coaches. And you can see right now, we've got two young men that are coaching in the highest league in the world, the EPL. And as you mentioned earlier, Chris Thomas as an assistant with Man U and presently Jesse Marsh at Leeds United. And, um, you know, and the league is flourishing. We've gone from 10 teams now 28 
soon to be 29 next year with St. Louis. But I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't thank my previous employee, boss, Mr. Philip Anschutz, for saving the league and the direction that uh, Don Garber has done with the league, as we heard when we were talking to Nelson Rodriguez. I, I think uh, Mr. Anschutz doesn't get enough credit for what he's done for soccer in America. And I personally feel honored and blessed to have worked for him and bring him his first MLS Cup in 2002. No one deserved it more than him and the LA fans. But that building that he built in Carson, which now is called Dignity Sports Health Park, uh, was my lab. On my way home to Redondo Beach, all the U.S. national teams train and play there, men and women. And I'd always stop off to observe and watch all our national youth coaches, our national coaches work, Bruce, Bob, Jurgen Klingsman. So I just want to encourage our, our young coaches and even our coaches that are not young. It's always a great opportunity to watch and observe quality people work and see what they can do in their training and their preparation for their teams. And uh, that was huge for me. It was massive. Uh, I, I know a lot of times I would tell my wife, I'm, I'm coming home, and then all of a sudden I'd stop off at Carson because my buddy would tell me, hey, the, the national team's training at 6.30 at night or whatever. And uh, one of the things that people don't realize, Ray, and I want to say this on is that um, you, you developed, I thought, the most unique special clinic uh, in our country, uh, what you ran at Mohican Sun, your, uh, your program there, Soccer Champions Clinic. And I just wanted to ask you, how did that brainchild come and how did you develop it? How did you grow it and how you made it into, a, I thought, technically a world-class soccer? Yeah, you know, around 2000, give or take, I went to a young lady named Vicky Cirilli who worked for Gold Oil Compartments with the idea that you know, we had done it at Southern Connecticut on the grounds at Southern on a much small level to raise money for the program. And now I wanted to take it. I had went up to Mohegan Sun, which is 15 minutes from my house, and watched the Nike basketball clinics. And this was probably 1999, maybe 2000. Roy Williams, Dean Smith, John Calipari. I believe Tubby Smith was here. And I watched them all day. Just watched them about teaching and coaching. So I went to Vicky because she ran that through Golden Oak for Nike. Long story short, she went to the owner, which was uh, – Peter Gold and Rick Wallach, and they liked the idea. And Tony Chico was a client of Peter Gold's, and God rest his soul, Tony wanted to get involved. So we went in as partners. It was Tony and I at first, and Vicky. And Vicky was, uh, you know, representing the company for a couple of years, and then it morphed into Tony and I and Rick Wallach. And we were bl very blessed. Rick did a great job, great marketer, event promoter, organ organized guy, paid attention to all the details. Made it a great show. And over 20 years, it'd be a two-day event. We're hoping to resurrect it February 2023. Over a two-day event, you know, we'd have eight or ten sessions a day in the, in a, on the field. We'd turn a ballroom into a field. And then we'd also have a classroom session where we'd have six or eight classroom sessions a day, offering licenses. And, you know, we had, during our time there, we had Dick Bate, the legendary Dick Bate from England, four or five times, Bruce Arena. Siggy Schmidt, Glenn Mayanick, I believe Jimmy Lennox, I believe we had Mia Hamm. 
But we've always had, we had Ralph Perez, obviously, multiple times. We had Bobby Muse from Wake. We've, we've done it at Mohegan Sun. We've done it at Disney in Orlando. And we did it in uh, Las Vegas. The one that stuck the most was Mohegan Sun. And obviously, we've taken two years off of COVID. We're very blessed to have Ralph. Ralph will come in and present and be very involved in the, in the uh, process. And I'm hoping with Rick that we bring this thing back next February. You know, anywhere I go, people ask about it. We'd have 800 to 1,000 coaches come in Thursday night, go home Saturday night at a casino. You know, full soccer all day, restaurants, uh, youth, high school, college. Tried to get Bobby Clark. Could not get Bobby Clark for the life of us. Uh, <laughs> we had his in Notre Dame. So <laughs> you think he might have thought it was a conflict of interest. Uh, we had Sue Ryan, who's a woman's ODP coach, East Region, used to be at Stony Brook, may still be at Stony Brook, uh, Mark Akorian. So we, we've been very blessed to have top men, Becky Burley, top men and women coaches, and not one, but three or four, you know, uh, it was called Soccer Champions Coaches Clinic. And in the end, after Tony passed, it was Rick Orlick and myself, and Ralph was involved. And we're hoping to bring it back next year. Everybody's excited. Six months to Qatar. Obviously, we didn't make it in 18. And for for the serious soccer person, that was a, a death blow. But before 18, we made it every four years back to 1990. Before that, we hadn't made it in 40 or 50 years. Ralph, you could go on for an hour, but give us just a minute or two of the pregame in Trinidad in 88. You had to beat him to qualify with Bob Gansler and you. Hoxie, Tab, Tony Miola, Blissey, Winda Schmidt, I believe John Doyle. I, I hope I'm right there. Uh, I don't know if Steve Trichu was involved. Uh, uh, God rest his soul, David Vinoli. Uh, and we had we had scrimmage at North Haven. We were the last Southern Connecticut. What's your last game after the celebration in Little Italy before you went to Rome? Talk about the pregame, talk about the match and the feeling when the final whistle blew. Well, I think, number one, that group doesn't get enough credit of what they did for soccer in America. And before I even go on to the whole thing about that game, I do want to give credit to the women. Our women are the Brazil of the world and championships. They've won four, four World Cups, and that's, that's amazing. And that's impressive, and I can't say enough to... Anson Dorrance, Tony DeChico, and Jill Ellis, who all coached those teams to championships, which is phenomenal. But for us in 1989, we're trying to get to the World Cup, and I'll just put it in simple terms that a movie that everybody's seen, you know, The Miracle on Ice, this was The Miracle on Grass. We had to go to Trinidad. It was a must win. A tie would not do it. A tie would put Trinidad in the World Cup, and obviously a win would have put them in the World Cup. And this little island was fired up for this game. They already declared the president that the Monday after the game was a national holiday because they anticipated that they were going to get to the World Cup for the first time themselves. I give all our guys credit. I, they're, they're standing right here. If they were, I would tell them how proud I am and what they achieved. They overcame odds. We, were, we had no pro league. We took young guys because we thought, hey, if we can get to the World Cup, then they'll really be uh, ready for the next World Cup. And that team 
Really, the nucleus came from the 88 Olympic team that Lothar Asiander took to South Korea. Coach Glanzler was, was impeccable in, in his preparation. He was impeccable, just like what he did in Saudi Arabia. The man is a genius. Uh, it was a true honor that how he, he believed it, I believed it, Joe Mackman believed it, and these young men believed it, that we could get it done. And that's a big thing, the psychological side. The physical, mental side, I thought the guys were ready. Uh, we knew that there was going to be the game of our lives. And, uh, and we would have to play that to get it done. And, and we did. And Paul Caligiri hits the shot, as J.P. Della Cameron declared it, the shot heard around the world because the U.S., that goal put us into the, into the World Cup. What it did was so many good things for the sport going forward on the men's side. And it surely helped uh, Major League Soccer as the World Cup in 94 as well. So that, that game itself, Coach, had us ready. Um, and clearly, clearly, I go on record and saying <laughs> when Paul took that shot, I, I was saying don't shoot it because it was a little too far out. <laughs> but it led to a fantastic goal. And uh, as, as Bruce Murray had, had said to me uh, on a podcast uh, about six months ago, it just helped, you know, goals. I've always felt change the complexion of a game. I think after getting that goal that settled our nerves, it settled our mentality and uh, it made it easier for us to continue and finish out the game. And there were some calls that if you talk to Trinidadians kind of went our way that day, but um, it was uh, special, something that I think all Americans that weren't born then and weren't around then, if they could archive it, I think it would be worth seeing. We're still go trying to honor that team and Jan and myself and Peter Vermes and Brian Bliss are trying to get a reunion together, which we are going to do in January of the coming year down in Florida, where we spent a lot of time in our preseason preparations and our preparations for all our World Cup qualifiers. But that game was massive. And uh, as you mentioned, it, it started a string of World Cups until we didn't make it to Russia. Ralph, a couple things that get lost, you touched on briefly, but one, all due respect, there was no MLS. We had a couple guys in Europe. It was basically a college all-star team, meaning these guys have been great players in college. They were starting their way, but they did not have years of, of, of professional experience under them. Two, the pressure that we were going to host in 94 and to get the experience in Italy was massive. And three, all due respect, U.S. soccer wasn't exactly putting money into this. Never mind compensating coaches, but in travel and feeding players and scouting and checking opponents. And nobody understands. And it sounds like, oh, I used to walk to school barefooted and go up the hill and carry my lunch. But that group, to me, paved the way for 94, 98, 2002. Bruce's group that beat Portugal and Bobby Bradley's success. And uh, just, you're right. It is overlooked. I think we're short on time. Hopefully in the fall, we're going to get Coach Ganser on with you and Lothar, and I'm going to host it as we get close to Qatar. We'll do the whole show on the 90 team and on also going into the 2022 team. But it was a great moment for U.S. soccer, and it changed the complexion for the men. On the pro level, and certainly 
helped the women in that soccer became more important because we were in a World Cup. Just real quick, Ray, because you stole Michael K's stuff, I'm just going to hit you with one question. If you were in a foxhole, who would you have? You're going to laugh, but you know her. I'd have my mother in the foxhole with me because that woman doesn't know what it's like to quit or give up or give in. And I like to tell people I got my good qualities from Joan Reed and I got my bad qualities from Joan Reed. I want my mother in the foxhole with me. I, I would surely want my son, Sergeant Anthony Perez, because he's done two deployments to Afghanistan. He's still served our country. I couldn't be more proud of him and, and what he's done. He's still doing it every day in the U.S. Army, so that would be my guy in the foxhole. This was a lot of fun getting to pick Ralph's brain. We will be back next week with our regularly scheduled guest. Thank you for taking time to listen to us, and remember, this is for the love of the game.